0: May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Good morning. Good to be here with you again. It was before Christmas when I was last here, and uh, we had those things falling off the wall. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I've got a, a device here that I should be able to operate. Um, let's see. Look at that. That box uh, is a box we have in our lounge room, an old box. And when one, one of our many granddaughters was visiting, not one of the ones sitting over here, another one. Uh, One of them asked Marie what was in the box. Well, Marie spun a wonderful tale about uh, being a treasure chest and that there was all sorts of valuables in there. There was gold in the box. Of course, uh, Genevieve was very keen to see the box and after some pestering, Marie opened the box for her. Well, the gold blanket obviously wasn't what she was expecting and she looked pretty disappointed. After her father came in, Marie was relating the things that had been, they'd been doing together during the day, all the activities they'd been up to, and in a conspiratorial voice, she suggested to Genevieve that she tell her father what was in the box. And Genevieve looked pretty doubtful and took a bit of coaxing, but eventually she told her dad, there's gold in the box. But then she added in a whisper, we could all hear, but don't tell Gran, it's only a blanket. (laughs) The joys and blessings of children, rescuing at the age of three, would you believe? I've no idea what was in her, her mind as she pictured what what she expected was uh, going to happen or going to be in the box when she opened it. But let me stretch that idea by asking you, what do you think of when you read the word blessing, which is what my address is about this morning? What do you think of when you hear blessings uh, conferred on someone? And to be honest, when I first thought about blessing, along the line, I, I really... Think of something along the lines of, of um, Psalm twenty, verse four. Um, may, oh, that's not it. We'll go back one. So uh, Psalm verse, Psalm twenty, verse four. May God give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Which, if I'm thinking of myself, seems pretty self-centred. Um, Uh, request doesn't it it's like a bit like a chocolate box prayer where I pick a verse out of the Bible take it out of context and then claim it as a promise from God to me and then I'm sure I'm sure really you're not as shallow as me of course so firstly why does God bless us and secondly what should our response be to the blessing of God let me pray Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with treasure in us, ju- just jars of clay, and that we have this treasure of the gospel to show this all-surpassing power of God, which is from you. As we consider this word now, as we think of this Psalm 67, Lord, take us more deeply into what your word reveals, that we may be more like your Son, and that we may indeed serve you and bring glory and honor to your name for jesus christ's sake amen well summer in the psalms it's a catchy title for a sermon series marie my wife and i are working through the psalms together in our morning devotions and although the psalms are quite familiar we have found that reading them out loud to one another really brings home the raw emotions that they express and you don't have to read very far into the Bible or into the Psalms, really, to see the, the raw emotion that's expressed there by the writers. You don't have to read far to see that they clearly expose themselves in all their messy humanity and insecurities. C.S. Lewis commented on this in one of his commentaries. He said, as he reads the Psalms, The dominant expression I get from reading the Psalms is one of antiquity. I seem to be looking into a deep pit of time, but looking through a lens which brings the figures who inhabit that depth up close to my eye. In that momentary proximity, they're almost shockingly alien. Creatures of unrestrained emotion, wallowing in self-pity sobbing, cursing, screaming and exultation, clashing uncouth weapons or dancing to the din of strange musical instruments. When Cameron read Psalm 152 to us a while ago, we heard some of those timbrels and, and uh, dancing and strange instruments indeed. It sounds, you can imagine, like a cacophony. I wondered if the next song we were actually going to get up and dance, but we didn't. But the image Images that Lewis describes may be somewhat foreign to our worship here in this 21st century culture, but the point is the Psalms are to be read as if from the heart, emotional and deeply engaging. Their humanity spilling over in a raw illustration of life not so unlike our own. These writers may not exactly know our circumstances or our anxieties and fears, but you can see they know enough of the sort of struggle and joy that we have to, that we can identify with them. If we allow God to speak to us through the psalm today, it's because we have a good understanding that these psalmists wrote in an intentional intensely personal way even though it is a corporate psalm so the psalm begins and I hope you've still got it open there um, if you haven't it's very easy to find the psalms right in the middle of the bible and 65 so well into them so it opens with that those words may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us And if that sounds familiar, that's because it's a quote from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 6, verse 25. And there, in the book of Numbers, we find that Moses commanded, or God commanded Moses, that when Aaron and the priests blessed the people, they should say this to them The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. So for hundreds of years, from the time of the Exodus and the giving of the Law, these words have been a familiar blessing to the people of Israel. Everyone knew it, a bit like we might know the 23rd Psalm or the Lord's Prayer by heart today. It was a familiar blessing to them. But this is more than invoking of a blessing. Look at the way verses 1 and 2 relate to each other. May God be gracious to us and bless us. You see, this connection between this verse, verse 1, and verse 2. Between God's blessing Israel, that's the us of verse 1, and Israel becoming a blessing to the nations of verse 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us. You note those words. And make his face shine upon us so that... This is the aim of God in blessing Israel. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So this connection between being blessed and being a blessing to the nations illustrates that this Psalm, uh, the psalmist's prayer here or song is rooted in Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3. That key verse in the opening book of the Bible. There, in chapter 12 of Genesis, God promises to Abraham, you'll remember to make you, God says, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So this Psalm 67 is not hanging in the air with no connection Uh, with God's historical way of saving the world. It's part of this biblical unfolding of God's purpose, and this fits right in. It's rooted in God's covenant with Abraham, and we know that the decisive fulfilment of God's covenant with Abraham is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the offspring of Abraham. And because Jesus in his saving work is the offspring of Abraham, then everyone who is united to him by faith becomes a child of Abraham and an heir of all his blessings. When I was in Sunday school, some of you will probably remember, some of you might be too young, we used to sing a song, Father Abraham has many sons, it's probably not politically correct anymore, I don't know, Uh, many sons has Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. And I never connected that at the time. Of course, in Christ, we are indeed recipients of the blessings that God promised to Abraham. They're our blessings. So back to the psalm. The psalmist begins by establishing that God blesses his people. An idea rooted in the scriptures so that his way will be known on earth. The psalmist asks for blessing so that God's way may be known on the earth. The psalmist is saying, in effect, bless me so that I might glorify you. Bless me so that I might show your power, your love, your majesty, and your goodness to all the nations. Note what the psalmist is not saying. He's not saying, bless me so that I can be comfortable He's not saying, bless me so that I don't have to work hard for a living. He's not saying, bless me so that other people will be envious of me. He's not saying, bless me so that I can be successful in the eyes of the world or be prosperous or any of those things. Now, listen carefully. He's not saying, bless me so that I can be successful in the eyes of the world. I said that already didn't I the the part to listen to carefully is he's not even primarily saying bless me so that I can be a blessing to others now that last is is a biblical reason for God's blessing as he makes explicit in that passage I gave you from uh, Genesis chapter 12 You see, it finishes with, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's true that God blesses us and gifts us so that we might serve and bless others. That's a biblical truth. But God blesses us first and foremost so that we can bring glory to his name. Let's look at the way this psalm is organised You see, in looking at the psalm and the way the psalmist has put the song together, and it's titled as a psalmist song, you can see something about the central purpose of the song. You see, psalms, uh, or or Hebrew poetry, I should say, are very often arranged in a literary device called chiastic uh, structure, chiastic structure. And we can see by looking at that where the psalmist wants to draw our attention. Let me put it up that way. And you can see by the colours there that the central part of the psalm is verse 4. And this structure, uh, this Hebrew uh, uh, device, literary device, you see that the centre is the main purpose and then working out from that uh, you find verses Three and five are not only parallel, but they are identical in this case. Psalm 67 is a good example of this chiasic structure. And verse four is in fact the literary center of the psalm and is such as emphasized. So the structure of the psalm can be expressed like this. Verses one and two, the blessing of the nations. Bless uh, verses three, is praise is a refrain of praise. Verse four is the central invitation and focus on God's just and equitable guidance. Verse five is again the refrain of praise, and bless, verses six and seven are uh, blessings even to the ends of the earth. So the further we move away from the centre, uh, we find that verses uh, three and four are the, uh, parallel. And then we find that verses 1 and 2 are parallel with verses 6 and 7. So the last two verses read, The land yields its harvest and God our God blesses us. May God bless us so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The psalm begins by asking what? that God will bless us and ends by underlining that he will, he will indeed bless us in part through the abundant harvest of food and then concludes by once again giving the reason for his blessing that all the ends of the earth will fear him that is they'll be in awe of him they will revere him so the psalm begins and ends with the statement that God blesses and leads to his glory God's blessing leads to his glory that's the very reason that God blesses us It's not just an idea found in Psalm 67. You can find it right through the scriptures. An example is found in 1 Kings chapter 8 uh, at verse 60. The Israelites in Kings have just completed building the temple. And King Solomon, who was instrumental in that building of the temple, offers a lengthy prayer. Takes up most of that uh, 59 verses of the chapter 8 in 1 Kings that King Solomon offers his lengthy prayer, in part asking that God would meet the people's needs, that he would bless them by meeting their needs. And then Solomon gives the reason why God should bless his people in that way. So that all the peoples of earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. So Solomon asks for blessings so that all people everywhere might know that there is one God. That all other so called gods are false, and that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is that God. He asks for blessings so that the true God might be glorified. It's a theme you can find in lots of places in the scripture. So Psalm 67, and indeed all the Bible, emphasizes God's blessing his people for the glory of his own name. So that his goodness, mercy, and love would be recognised and praised by all people. It's a fundamental biblical truth. God blesses his people so that the peoples might bless him. And we've already done that this morning in the words of those beautiful songs that we sang together. The chorus of Psalm 67 is repeated and makes this clear. Verses 3 and 5. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The Lord has in mind the people who will praise him. What people? All the nations. Why? That your ways may be known on earth. God wants the nations to say, wow, did you see what Israel's God did? He especially wants them to see his salvation. Look at what he did for them. Remember the Red Sea where God held back the waters so that they could escape from slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea as if on dry land? Did you see how God saved them? And do you remember when they were confronted going into the Promised Land by that walled city of Jericho, how God, in his gracious mercy, saved them by destroying the walls at the blind, at, at the trump of a trumpet? Did you see the way God saved them? But God also wants the nations to go beyond knowing about him to knowing him personally. That your way may be known on earth, verse 2. That word know means both in head and in heart. When the heart is overflowing with gratitude at the blessing God pours out for his people, then... Praise for him naturally follows. You know, I can say, I I know there's a chair there and that can be head knowledge, but to know about the person sitting in that chair is to really allow it to go into the heart and the response will be an overflow of enjoyment and praise. I once picked up a hitchhiker going to Hobart And after a bit of small talk, the conversation became quite interesting and I was able to share with him something of my love of Jesus. I can't remember much of the conversation, but I remember being startled by something he said. It's at least 30 years ago, and yet I can remember the exact place on the Brooker Highway when he said to me, well, I could never love a God who wanted me to continually tell him how great he is. I must say, up to that point, I'd never thought of it that way. He obviously knew something about Christianity, but sadly, he missed the essential point. And the essential point, let me say, C.S. Lewis says it better than me. C.S. Lewis puts it beautifully when he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's the appointed consummation. Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I'm sure you've had quoted in this setting uh, more than once, says that man's chief end is to glorify God, you know it, and enjoy him forever. But we soon discover when we yield willingly to praise him that these things are the same. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. That's what my hitchhiking companion failed to understand. I suppose it's a bit like looking for gold and you only see a blanket. I wish I was able to tell you that I was able to share something as eloquent about praise and enjoyment as C.S. Lewis, but unfortunately our journey came to an end there. Sadly, he got out of the car and walked off. I hope God used our conversation, and I prayed about it many times after that. And perhaps I'll meet him in glory. I really hope so. I pray so. You see, the psalmist says all the nations can be glad. Verse 4, that central verse, clearly God blesses his people and abundantly. Verse four also says, the nations will sing for joy. That means to sing and shout aloud. We can sometimes be a bit constrained in our worship, can't we? Well, that's Psalm 150 again, if you want to see unrestrained worship uh, expressed in that Psalm, I think it's wonderful. That's really praising God wonderfully. I once did a service, it was the Sunday immediately following Christmas Day, which was on a Saturday. Uh, We call it Low Sunday because of the low attendance that usually people come on Christmas Day. I think that's it. But uh, we had a refugee couple from Sudan in our congregation who'd been married in a civil ceremony in a refugee camp and they wanted to have their vows blessed in church. So instead of having a normal Sunday service, we had an African wedding. And we invited all the African community from around Launceston to come. It was wonderful. And I have to tell you, in the city church of Anglican Church of St. John's, there were people dancing in the aisle. It was impossible not to. Um, It was so great a joy. Well, um, God clearly blesses his people so that we can sing his praise we find this outreach effect uh, a blessing uh, not only in verse two but again in verse seven god will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him you see the result of uh blessing god the nations will have fear that is the reverence and awe towards god in fact, to not praise him and enjoy him is the fearful thing. God wants them to say, wow, there's a God worth trusting. In the past, God blessed his people, Israel, so that all the peoples should see his blessing and turn and, in turn bless God. That's where, sadly, Israel fell down. They never realized that their role was to be a blessing to all nations. And though we live thousands of years later, God's heart is the same. He blesses his people today so that all the peoples of the world may praise him. Praising him leads to gladness and joy. And those who don't praise him, those who are walking in darkness, those who are bound by fears and false gods and idols, those people are people without joy. The rest of verse four explains in part why this is the case. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. No other ruler, no other God will be just, straight and upright in his dealings with people. No other ruler, no God will guide justly Animists and Muslims and Buddhists and cultural Christians, all those who are without a vital relationship with the one true and living God, are not, as the Apostle Peter puts it, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter writes to the church, through Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The deep gladness and joy of knowing God himself. For if God is at the centre of all things, he is the most beautiful, the most loving, the most powerful of all beings. Recognising who he is being in a relationship with him, being led and guided and governed by him is the source of greatest joy imaginable. May we pray. Father, we thank you that even as we come to follow that command to bring you praise, we find that it fills us with that inexpressible joy. I pray that today, here, this morning, amongst us, you will be at work by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may indeed know that true treasure that you will touch us and fill us with joy inexpressible in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the way we might feel, but will be overwhelmed by your presence through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.